Good afternoon, patriots. You're tuned into Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today we'll talk about the skills gap in the American workforce, the Biden regime setting the narrative now on the pending recession, and we'll finish up with something from the lighter side, next on Living with Liberty. I had a busy week last week, it caused a unplanned break in the recording schedule here. Between work, the homework for my constitution class I'm taking, and a school board meeting thrown in for good measure, the week just flew by and I ended up taking that unplanned break. Hopefully that is the last unplanned time off, though no promises, we all know how life can get in the way sometimes. One thing I had been thinking about during that week and had started to write about a write out a show about anyway is whether there is a skills gap in our workforce or not I recently read a few articles on this a few opinions on it I'll link one of those in the description box of the uh, of this episode I think as I draw my own experience as someone in that's a manager of of people and things I've seen, um, people I've mentored over the years, especially coming out of college uh, into their first job. I, I think by all accounts, we do have a skills gap. We have uh, several, actually, I think, key skills that uh, we have gaps in now, uh, for especially folks coming into the, into the uh, workforce, uh, brand new even. Uh, some of the skills gap, I think we can a tribute to the push that has been, uh, I would say, relentless at times, that everyone needs to go to college. When in fact, there are some people that just aren't cut out for college, and they would have been better served learning a trade, uh, bettering uh, or furthering their skills that way within a trade or, or just some other skill, right? You can take uh schools at the local community or courses at the local community college that give you those skills, some of those um, soft skills like communication, et cetera, uh, help build those up instead of taking on debt for a degree in basket weaving that actually never ended up getting completed. Those people need uh, that do that, that go to college that weren't cut out for college end up uh, at a point where they need to start servicing that school debt. They need to start paying it back. So they take on any job they can get just to generate some income. They then get stuck in what is a seemingly endless cycle of dead-end jobs with no perceived way out, no perceived way to expand their skills or get the time to expand their skills and improve that skill set they have in order to move into a job that's better paying, that might be a better match to what their personal goals and strengths are, and in improving those skills to the point where they have skills that are in demand. Now, those individuals, I think, like I said, they don't feel that maybe they have the time to undertake uh, some courses or things like that because of... Uh, of the pressure to to pay back what can be is crushing student debt sometimes, especially if you don't finish a degree. And sometimes maybe they'd feel they don't have uh, really the will maybe to, to go on and 
and, and in, increase their um, improve their skill set uh, to to move into a better paying job. Maybe it's there's the singular focus now. Maybe there's a, a a family that was started or something like that. Where where do you fit that in? And and then it just it does it becomes that uh, endless cycle, and, and you start to see these skills gap. Uh, especially from like myself, who would be a hiring manager, you'd start to see that in some of the applicants. So th- that's one piece of this, I think, as to why we have a skills gap. I, th- I think there are things that can be done. And I, you know, would like, uh, I think I would like to see, I know some of the private sector companies have taken a, a role in upskilling their employees. I know Amazon is as much as I, <laughs> as much as I disdain them for, for what they uh, currently stand for and their stances in in our current world and the censorship they partake in, you know, one of the things they've done is they they do upskill their employees. They uh, provide the time for their employees to um, learn different skills to take a class. Today, I think they even provide the classes in in some cases where they can uh, their employees can gain better and, and more technical skills. Uh, I think we all see the, the way the world's going, right? So, um, you know, it's important to have those technical skills. So Amazon, as, as, as much as I disdain what their stance is right now in the current state of affairs, that, that's one thing they do well. And there, there's numerous other companies that do that. I'm sure some of your companies do that. I know the current company I work for does that. We have our own, uh, call it like learning academy internally, where you can take courses on uh, online, uh, sometimes they're they're in person or video or whatever, but where you can enhance your skill set. Now, the other big driver, I think, of the skills gap starts younger. It starts when our children are in school. A number of our schools and educators now, in this day and age of wokeitarianism, are seemingly more interested in pushing equity and inclusion and diversity instead of teaching and helping kids master subjects, master um, material that will help them build their skills. These our schools seemingly are more interested in turning out activists than turning out engineers. And you know, what are these things? You, you know, these are, these are things like uh, skills and, and classes like, you know, racist math where you get the right answer science, not in quotation marks, actual science, reading, being able to read and comprehend stuff, and also the soft skills. Things like actually conversing with someone face-to-face as opposed to just texting them from across the table, or just being able to think critically or strategically, being able to think for oneself and have an original thought or an original opinion and and then being able to justify through the the use of of data and analytics and facts as to why you hold that position that those are things especially those soft skills are are things that are uh severely lacking as i look at it the gap the skills gap we see in our workforce starts young starts early now what are some of these skills that employers are seeking but are in seemingly short supply. Now, the top of the mind skills are always there. It's those technical skills, the ones that you gain uh, either by going into some sort of technical field, whether it be um, 
uh, like uh, IT or engineering, things like that, things that are heavy on math, that are heavy on some of those uh, different scientific elements, you know, whether it be physics or chemistry, things like that. So those are always top of mind. Those in this day and age, the information age, the skills needed are, are the technical skills are always going to be top of mind and in short supply, especially if we don't change how we're doing things in our schools from a young age. But it also is deeper than that. Now, one gap in skills are those aforementioned soft skills. And I have a uh, staffing stream article. I think this is some uh, HR type of uh, newsletter. It, it goes back to 2014, but it's just as relevant uh, today as it was in 2014. Those soft skills that they mentioned in the article are still as much of a gap today as it was back in 2014, seven years ago. Our colleges are not turning out thinkers as a whole. They're not turning out students that can think critically, that can have an opinion and back it up through the use of facts and data. You can take that and, and, and walk it all the way back to our high schools when you should start to develop some of those skills, maybe even back into the middle schools. And, and the foundation for all that is laid in the elementary schools. All throughout our schools, our educational system, we are not turning out people who can think critically. On a whole, you have you have those students that that do come through. You have things like these uh, preparatory schools or these private schools where they do somewhat focus on that. But in terms of actual um, actual like student count, those account for a very small minority of of students. The the, the vast majority come from uh, come up through the public schools. These are in you know, something near and dear to my heart, homeschools. We certainly teach that in our homeschool. I know many, many, if not all homeschoolers, I say many, I don't want to be absolute and say all, but the vast majority, let's call it, do teach those things as well. Think for yourself. You uh, need these soft skills. I keep telling my kids all the time, They we, we do a writing program with them. I keep telling them all the time, you need to know how to write. You need to know how to communicate effectively and succinctly. That's why we're doing this writing program. Because what I see is people don't know how to do that anymore. We need to teach the importance of actually spelling out words and using proper grammar and communication. That's what needs to be teach, uh, taught. Teach, listen to me, right? That one, that's what needs to be taught. Uh, and those things have been kind of eroded and has given way, it seems, to accepting acronyms and misspellings and disjointed writing styles and incomplete thoughts. I'm not going to say I complete every thought every time I write or even as I do these shows. I'm sure I don't. Um, but the basis is there, right? I try and do that and as much as possible, and I review what I write and make edits and, and try and make it as complete as possible. We don't. We have this hurried lifestyle where we just have to get our thought out there. And you can thank Twitter, Facebook, social media in general for that, right? And nobody, um, I don't think anybody would have seen the decline in uh, how we communicate when those uh, platforms came out. Uh, there, there's, if you look across the whole hinterlands of social media, and I'm, I'm again, I'm guilty of this, I'm sure, um, of just rushing to get an idea out 
instead of taking time to think it through, right? And as I get older, my fingers get fatter and I get typos. <laughs> so I try to go back and edit them, but, uh, you know, just, uh, I guess getting older, you get fatter fingers, especially on those little phone keyboards. Now, I have an example here of that, that kind of illustrates this point of our schools aren't necessarily concerned about things like uh, the misspellings and the disjointed writing and the incomplete thoughts and just effective communication. So we had a local English teacher here. And I'll remember English teacher, language teacher, should, should know a little bit about writing. Uh, that was did a video uh, telling his students to write an essay on a book he was reading aloud. That whole thing is a whole different subject. I won't get into about this book he read aloud, but he wanted the students to write an essay on uh, some chapter of this book, on one chapter of this book they were reading aloud as a class. What he said, though, he said, don't worry about spelling and grammar. The ideas are what he was interested in. And to kind of frame it in, it's really the social justice ideas that he was interested in. Again, maybe some other show I'll, I'll get into that. But it was no focus on the actual process, no focus on the spelling, the grammar, getting your ideas out there in full. It was just what's what's your idea? What's your thought? What's your emotion behind we just read? That that's basically what what was being said here. All that matters in this is the emotion. It doesn't matter how you back it up. It doesn't matter how you spell it. It doesn't matter how you write it. I just want to know what your emotions are, and, and that's part of the problem today. Is we're all emotional beings. We're all human. We all have emotions, but you have to have some sort of um, process around. Uh, how you convey that and how you justify your position in, in this case, in an essay, you're writing in an English class where the English teacher isn't concerned about the actual process or the justifications. He just wants to know the emotions and maybe see how, how far his indoctrination is going. I don't know. Like I said, might be a story for a different day. Now, the the question I raise here isn't it the job of an educator, of a teacher, to train students in getting those ideas across in an effective manner, in one that justifies their position and readies them for the real world, that allows them to have the skill set to go back, research things, and be confident in uh, their position in a debate? Isn't that the job that we're trying to get across here, or, or the... Um, the concept we're trying to get across here as the job of the educator to train students how to do this, how to be effective in, in the adult world, let's call it. Isn't one purpose of our education system to train and to prepare students for life in the working world? That teacher just sent a message that utilizing spelling and grammar is not important to getting a message across, but it is. Would you honestly want to send a message or an email? or even do a presentation in front of senior leadership of a company that is riddled with grammatical and spelling errors and incomplete thoughts and incomplete research. Would you hire somebody? Let's say you're in my position as a hiring manager. Some of you are, I'm sure. Would you hire somebody who has a bunch of spelling and grammatical errors on their resume? Those things count. And that's what we need to be teaching our students. And that's what we teach our kids in our homeschools. Those things actually count. If you can communicate effectively, 
and be able to justify it and be able to write with some proficiency that counts you uh in my opinion have a leg up on on other people on your peers those things count because they're the first impression someone has of you in the case of the resume or it might be your first uh presentation in front of the senior leadership of a company so those things count but if you have a teacher that downplays those things that sticks with an impressionable mind for a long time. Perhaps it remains ingrained forever. We need to be teaching our kids how to communicate in an effective manner, I dare I say, the right way. Now, one of the other major skills Gap noted uh, in this article is in the area of STEM, so your science, technology, engineering, and math. Our education system doesn't do enough to push the areas of math and science, I think. Um, I'll have another story, I think, maybe later this week, maybe next week on a local school district that is basically giving students, say, 50%, whether they do the work or not. Uh, unreal, right? I mean, how how do you start off with that? And then they're not pushing excellence in these areas. Um, our education system is just keeps going downhill in that regards. We don't do enough to push the science and the math and to give the students the help they need to understand, comprehend, and succeed and master those subjects. And we end up with a skills gap and we end up with employers that can't find the necessary workers at home. So either they bring them in on uh, on the work visas or they just offshore their operations. Those are the choices. You go where the workers are, where the skills are. That's the the uh, reality of a global economy. Now, it's obvious obvious that the stupidity of the last year plus, five years, 10 years, however long it's been, right? But the last year plus is where the real stupidity has been when it comes to math and where it's said that math that gets the right answer is racist. If you get the right, um, if you're teaching math that teaches that two plus two is four, that's racist, that's oppressive, whatever, uh, ridiculous, it's just stupid, right? That right there is proof that there's low interest in building the skills within our students for their future success, that, that building into our students is a low priority, that our uh, education system's first priority is to turn out activists and, and and peaceful protesters, in quotes. Now, let me ask you something here. Let's say you are driving through the Florida Keys or some other um, span over water where you have a, a, a lengthy, lengthy bridge, right? And let's say you're driving, let's say Florida Keys here. You're driving between the islands. You're going over these bridges. Now, how much trust would you uh, have in, in that bridge if it were designed by the engineers who used the math that generated the correct answer? I'd say you'd have a pretty high confidence that that, bra that, that bridge is going to hold your car as you're driving across it, right? Now, would that be your preference that you're driving through Florida Keys. Who do you want that uh, bridge designed by? Those engineers that use the, the math that gets the correct answer? Or would you be more comfortable in traversing that bridge that's designed by someone who's using that alternative math where correct answers aren't really important?
it, it, what's important is that you understand the social justice message behind <laughs> what we're trying to veil as math here. Uh, pretty easy call if you ask me. And if we are going to compete as a country, we need to be educating our students in a way that puts them on equal footing with the rest of the world. The rest of the world is, is, is pushing those STEM subjects. That's what we need to be doing as well. And those STEM subjects don't mean you have to go to a four-year college. You can still take those STEM subjects. Maybe you're not as good in, in them to go on to be an engineer or something like that, but you still have that basic understanding that you can take into a, t a technical realm like a, a plumber or electrician. They're still applicable to even those trades, but we need to have mastery of them. We need to have those technical skills. That is the future of how the world is, is going here. Now, in keeping with the economic theme, let's call it, I have an Epic Times piece here about how the Biden regime is changing the narrative in regards to a recession. Now, if you remember, I did a show a few weeks ago on why the signs are there showing we are headed for a recession. The Biden regime then confirms my suspicions here, my, my predictions, with this, and, and this is their warning uh, against raising the debt ceiling. Uh, they're saying if we don't raise the debt ceiling, it's going to trigger a recession. Now, the White House said this in their letter to state and local governments on September 17th. I quote, White House says, hitting the debt ceiling would cause a recession. Economic growth would falter, employment, unemployment would rise, and the labor market could lose millions of jobs. They are changing the narrative here. They are going to try and pin this pending recession on Republicans, since they are, as of right now anyway, who knows if the wind blows a different way tomorrow, they could change their position. We know how feckless Republicans can be. But as of right now, the Republicans are unified in opposing any increase of the federal debt ceiling. The GOP is going to force the Dems to increase it through the reconciliation process in the Senate that they're trying to jam this 3.5 trillion pork bill through. And in that instance, you would only, or they, the Senate would only need them, uh, Democrats would only need a majority vote then to do so. So they'd get their 50 plus one with, uh, with the border czar who's doing anything but being at the border with her vote. Uh, they would be able to pass this reconciliation bill, add $3.5 trillion in new spending, and uh, force through an increase in the debt ceiling. Now, if they did this through the normal process, it would most certainly be met with a filibuster. Republicans do not want to increase the debt ceiling. They have support. Uh, there's a lot of support among the people to not kick the can down the road anymore and increase the debt ceiling. We have to get control over this spending. Now, the Biden regime is putting this message out now in order to set the stage for the midterms that the Republicans caused the recession by opposing uh, raising the debt ceiling. The Democrats are attempting to set up their deflection mechanism for when the inevitable recession happens. And it's coming. It's looming we all can see it. It was a few shows ago. Go back and listen as to the reasons why. It's coming. You can 
just take a look at your shelves, take a look at inflation. It's going to happen. The issue for the Democrats here is their spending spree is not popular at all. So I don't see this deflection working at all. You can try and put the narrative out now that, oh, we didn't raise the debt ceiling, so we're, we're going to have a recession now. You can put that out all you want. Anybody that's watching things knows that we are headed for a recession. Anybody that's watching things knows that this uh, amount of spending is not sustainable. We just can't do it. People, like I said, they don't want this massive spending bill passed. They don't want to raise the debt ceiling. So I don't see that the Democrats' little deflection game is going to work here. I think they're trying everything they can. They see the red call it tsunami at this point, coming in the midterms. They're trying to get ahead of it by seeing what will stick to the wall in terms of what can we blame Republicans for and try and hold on to a few seats in our slim majorities. That's what the play is here. They know as well as everybody else there's a recession coming. It's just how are we going to spin it and blame people or or who are going to blame or how do we blame Republicans? Now, the taxpayers are fed up. I know I am. I know many of you are. We know also with this spending spree, our tax hikes, uh, this spending spree contains tax hikes. And don't buy for a second that's just on the rich. It's on everybody. Repealing the, the Trump tax cuts affects just about everybody. And those tax hikes are what will be the real economy killer here. So that's why they're saying raise the debt ceiling. We want to push through tax hikes, which, again, they know. I don't think they're the well, there's some some uh, uh, economic um, lightweights in terms of uh, on both sides of the aisle. Truthfully, they don't understand how things work. The, you know, you have some of the, the more savvy ones. They know these tax hikes are a killer for the economy. What happens when you when you have a tax hike? A tax is an effective tool to change a behavior. So if the government hikes taxes, what is that going to do? Businesses and individuals are going to pull back on their investments and economic activity. Inflation is already causing people to pull back on uh, on um, discretionary spending as the price of everyday essentials just keeps going up. As people have less discretionary income, they're going to be less likely to take out loans for things like home purchases, vehicle purchases, home improvements, for fear of not being able to service that debt, for fear of not being able to buy food, buy clothing, you know, those staples we need to, to stay alive, basically, right? Pay for their, you know, the mortgage or the rent they already have. The tax hikes will only exacerbate this issue as the people will see more and more of their paychecks evaporate into the black hole of the government where it's most assuredly going to be wasted. That is what they're trying to get ahead of here. They know this is coming. They know they're going to hike these taxes. People are the, the, those that can are going to get their money uh, and launder it or do whatever they do to avoid taxes invest it. They're going to find the loopholes and the rest of us will be stuck holding the bag that, that don't have those options of funneling money through Swiss banks or whatever else, right? Wherever else you can stick it so it's safe and, and remains out of the reach of, of uh, the U.S. government. The Democrats know that this 
tax hike is likely to what will be the final thing that triggers this recession. That they're using this to the the debt ceiling to try and get out ahead of that. Now, also, what I find troubling in the statement from the White House is the I guess just the whole statement. I guess this whole statement is troubling. It reeks of a command and control economy. It begs one to ask if we are truly a free market economy anymore, or have we become way too dependent on government spending to fuel our economic growth? Now, you should be asking, why is not raising the debt ceiling the trigger for a recession? It shouldn't be. If government were playing its rightful role in the economy, spending within its means, allowing the markets to work without picking winners and losers, because don't think for a second that they don't do that, then hitting their debt ceiling would not raise the threat of recession. In a true free market economy, yes, government has a role in the economy. I mean, they do spend for things like defense and, and roads and things like that. So there is a role for government in the economy. I'm not saying they stay totally out. But government spending should not, or the lack thereof, should not throw an economy into a recession if if that government's ability to accumulate debt is not increased. Endless government spending is not a recipe for sustained economic growth, and government not being able to spend more money it doesn't have should not send an economy into a recession. So that's the other troubling thing here is, is how can we go be be heading for a recession if we don't allow our government to spend more money it doesn't have. What happens to you or I if we continue to just borrow, borrow, borrow? Uh, Eventually, we have no personal wealth growth, right? We end up bankrupt. That's what's going to happen to our government. They they just keep raising the debt ceiling, keep raising it. Eventually, we're going to end up bankrupt. We're going to default on our loans, and we're going to end up in bankruptcy. We're going to end up with like... Greece or I, I think Argentina has gone through several of, of these where they've just defaulted on their loans and basically ended up bankrupt. That's where we're heading here. Now, you or I can't can't just endlessly borrow money. Eventually, the interest payments catch up and we can't even service the interest anymore. That same thing's going to happen with our government here. So that that's why this is troubling on so many levels. And it makes me wonder, are we truly, do we truly have a free market economy or is have we flipped the scales a bit to a point where the government is so so far involved in our economy that if they just stop spending, it'll kick it into a recession, that, that, and that shouldn't be. So another thing to chew on here is in terms of economy and, and like I said, the looming recession. So let's end today on a bit of a funny note. You probably roll your eyes at this too, maybe. I hope you find find it funny. Hopefully you have a good chuckle at just the sheer absurdity of this next story. So I have a Red State article here from, it's about from a week ago, about a professor in Canada who is taking the fight to oppression by, now wait for it, eliminating capitalizations of letters. Yes, in order to fight oppression, you must eliminate capitalizing proper nouns and sentence beginnings. Dr. Linda Manyguns, Yes, that is apparently her real name, but I doubt, given the story here, that she lives up to that name in the firearms department, decided that 
the normal routes of social justice warriorship just weren't enough. So she is joining the no capitalization movement. She says this, we resist acknowledging the power structures that oppress and join the movement that does not capitalize. No longer can any of us capitalize our names, lest we be labeled oppressors. Emails at work better be written in all lowercase, or you're an oppressor. To make it easy, just turn off the, uh, the autocorrect, the auto-capitalization, and Microsoft Word on your phone, your email program, whatever. Just turn, turn all, everything that's going to capitalize a letter uh, because of you know proper grammar and all. Turn it off. All lowercase now. You know what else you need to do? Remove the caps lock and shift keys from your keyboards, you oppressors. The power structure of proper writing styles and techniques must be destroyed. Capital letters are just too oppressive to be allowed anymore. It used to be that I was just being lazy when I would send instant messages in all lowercase. Now I know I do it because subconsciously I want to destroy the oppressive nature of capital letter patriarchy. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with the knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living With Liberty Outfitters. Now, through Thursday the 23rd, take 15% off your entire purchase in the store. And don't forget, in support of the fallen Marines in Afghanistan, all proceeds from merchandise sales will go to the A Soldier's Child Foundation, now through September 30th. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show, should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor and Gab. My handle on both is at livingwithliberty. You can also go to the contact page of my website and email me or follow the links there to my social media pages. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.